great rift valley of Kenya is home to a wide variety of flora and fauna. The fauna ranges from hippos to flamingos to human beings to the virus that causes rift valley fever. The virus was first discovered there about 100 years ago and can result in a mild disease, fever and headaches, or a severe disease, bleeding and encephalitis. Early recognition and reporting are vital, and so I'm glad that we have an expert at hand. Clayton Wiley is Professor of Pathology and Director of Neuropathology at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Centre. So Clayton, let's start off. Could you tell us what exactly is Rift Valley Fever? Okay, Rift Valley Fever is the result of an infection with what's called an arbovirus. And an arbovirus is, uh, as the name suggests, um, a group of different viruses that are arthropod-born, so therefore arbo. Um, it, uh, it does infect humans, although uh, humans are not its uh, natural site of infection. It's mostly in the wild and in agricultural animals. But in uh, humans who are exposed, particularly in Africa and uh, the Middle East, they have the ability to develop Rift Valley fever virus after, after exposure. Okay, and how would you recognize an affected patient? Well, the good news about most of these arboviruses is that we don't recognize infection because the patients are clinically asymptomatic. So the vast majority of infections with uh, arboviruses and Rift Valley is included in that group are not even recognized by the patient. However, a subset of patients, and this is somewhere between 1 and 10 percent, actually develop a fairly severe disease. And these patients develop symptomatology, which can be rather perplexing in its complexity. It can include encephalitis, uh, which is basically an encephalopathy, uh, sort of confusion, uh, delirium, these types of changes, to uh, severe bleeding disorders, to uh, hemorrhagic, particularly a liver-based disease, and also ocular findings with uh, some retinitis that's associated with in its most severe form. And if a patient did have um, that constellation of symptoms and signs and you did suspect the, the disease, what tests would you request? Well, the tests are not routinely available. Uh, they're difficult to get. Uh, they basically consider around two different uh, types of detection. One is you can actually detect the virus itself uh, in the blood. Individual patients develop a high enough viremia that by PCR, uh, one can detect the virus. And that's usually during the first few days uh, of infection. However, after a, a week or so, immunity can develop and one can detect antibody. And this is also another blood test, a serologic test, to determine that the patient not only was exposed to Rift Valley, but actually mounted an immune response. So the two types of tests are based on either PCR for the virus or the body's reaction to it with antibody. Okay, thank you. That's very clear. And having diagnosed the disease, I wonder what is the mainstay of treatment? Well, sadly, we don't have many treatments. For the most part, uh, it's a supportive sort of therapy. That is, if one can get the patient through the initial crisis, and again, it's just the the small percentage of patients that develop the clinical symptomatology, but uh, if one can control their cerebral edema and uh, support them through any sort of uh, hemorrhagic crises, 
they have the ability to recover, which is basically their immune systems taking over. There are some attempts to use experimental therapies that are targeting viral replication, and there are a couple different drugs on the market that do that. None of them have been used in a clinical trial, particularly in Rift Valley, to show their efficacy. But basically, physiologic support of the patient, usually in an ICU type environment, is the best way to do it. Uh, that said, in those patients who are severely afflicted and develop a encephalitis or hemorrhagic disease, it tends to have a lethal outcome. Okay, and when the patient is in hospital, do you need to take isolation measures? Well, that's a good question. Um, for the most part, the virus uh, does not spread from human to human. Human is not the natural host of this infection. Uh, the natural host is usually cattle or, or wild animals. And so human to human transmission would be quite abnormal. However, much like humans have the ability to get the disease when they are exposed to blood products from uh, infected animals, there has to be all of the uh, standard human precautions for any infectious disease. But in terms of spread from human to human, that's very almost unheard of. And um, it's more just standard infectious disease precautions. Okay, that, that, that's, that's very helpful. Thank you. And should you report the disease having diagnosed it? Well, absolutely. In fact, if this disease ever occurred outside of Africa or, or the Mideast, this would be an urgent human health problem. It would be incredibly difficult to diagnose outside of those areas, principally because few people would implement the diagnostic methodology that would be required uh, to make the diagnosis. It's not really clear why this disease is contained uh, within the uh, African subcontinent areas that it is, along with the Mideast. It is uh, normally transmitted between animals through the vector of the mosquito. And the particular mosquito that transmitted is the Aedes mosquito, and that uh, has a fairly wide distribution. So. Uh, it's crucial that quarantine uh, be maintained in those areas where there are outbreaks. It's difficult to detect an outbreak. When it does occur in animals, the usual sentinel uh, symptom is mass abortion um, amongst uh, the cattle or uh, animals that are, are infected. So regions that see this infection have this sentinel lesion in the animals and then subsequent uh, transmission to humans. Okay, thank you. And, and back to, to disease in humans. Uh, I wonder, what are the differentials um, of, of this disease in humans, and how can you tell it apart from these differentials? Right. Yeah, the differential is, is fairly broad uh, in the sense that all arboviral diseases, which, again, tend to be mostly subclinical, but those that become clinical have basically the same symptomatology. The virus... Uh, has the capacity to home for either the nervous system or the liver. Those are the two big organs uh, that are notable for involvement. And whether it's uh, West Nile virus or uh, Rift Valley fever virus, that symptomatology could be quite confusing. And the only way to tease it apart is to do the appropriate tests on the blood, either by PCR or by serology looking for antibody in order to detect what the body is responding to. So it's complex. 
in the case of Rift Valley fever, the liver involvement tends to be fairly robust, uh, but there are other arboviruses like yellow fever, which could easily be confused. Uh, and it really would depend a lot upon location of the patient, their exposure to uh, potentially infected animals uh, that are going to help in terms of honing down and the diagnosis and uh, encouraging the healthcare provider to do the appropriate testing. Okay, thank you. And are there any common pitfalls in the diagnosis and management of Rift Valley fever? Well, the usual pitfall is that the diagnosis is made late. These serological tests uh, and PCR tests, they don't take a long time to perform once they're drawn and ordered. But depending upon the index of suspicion, if that is low, then the test doesn't tend to get ordered until late in the disease. Uh, the disease can have a fairly fulminant course and aggressive support of the patient through the uh, hematologic crises of, uh, of diffuse hemorrhage, et cetera, and, and severe both neurologic and hepatic disease can run its full course before the diagnosis is made. Okay, thank you. And I wonder what have we missed so far? Are there any other questions you typically get asked about Rift Valley fever by doctors? Sure. One of the big questions and the more intriguing features of Rift Valley is that while it's a mosquito-borne virus, most human infections occur from uh, the slaughter of animals. Uh, that is, our husbandry and uh, food practices end up with us having a much greater exposure to animal blood uh, that is infected. And while many arboviruses, true to their name, are transmitted through that insect vector, a lot of Rift Valley is coming about from really the management of animals. That can be something as simple as the shearing of animals' uh, fur to their actual slaughter and preparation and part of our food chain. Uh, so those individuals uh, that have those particular duties are uh, the ones who tend to get a massive exposure to the virus and have a, a worse outcome uh, than those who occasionally get exposed to the same mosquitoes that the animals are exposed to. Okay, thank you. That's, that's very helpful. So that risk factor is, is clearly key. So if you had one single piece of advice to give to a healthcare prof professional about this disease, I wonder what would it be? Like many diseases of humans, the first and most important part of, of making the diagnosis is a very thorough clinical history, and travel uh, is a significant component of that. For uh, most physicians, the knowledge that the patient had had travel within the last week or two uh, into areas where uh, animals are acting as that sentinel to us, uh, that the virus is coming out and they have been potentially exposed. So a good clinical history is one of the things that will sort of increase that index of suspicion and get the appropriate testing going early. Okay, and, and travel to which specific countries would be most pertinent? Well, right now, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa uh, in the Rift Valley region is still uh, where this virus is endemic. But uh, as you know, humans have changed the face of the earth. And uh, we have had a spread of this uh, disease through many of our husbandry practices and, and how we change and dam up rivers, et cetera. So now the Mideast has 
been a region where there have been epidemics, uh, both in animals and in humans. Uh, so anything kind of around the southern Mediterranean and into the sub-Saharan Africa would be a travel that should be a, a red light. Okay, thank you very much, Clayton. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognise, report, and refer affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice or BMJ Learning and have a look at the content on Rift Valley Fever. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.